Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is August 21st, and our chapter for today is the Gospel of John, Chapter 8. Now, as we closed the account of Chapter 6 and then into Chapter 7, many of the disciples, many of the thousands that flocked to Jesus as he fed them, have now turned away and gone back simply because he did not live up to their expectations of meeting their every physical need. Sounds like a lot of people in our generation as well. John chapter 7 is a wonderful chapter. I wish we could have covered it. But in this 365 plan, we'll do the very best we can to bring to you the storyline of the Bible. At the close of chapter 7, the Sadducees and the Pharisees are arguing among themselves because the chief priest and their cohorts that took care of the temple were by and large Sadducees. The Pharisees, on the other hand, were those who were prominent in the Beit Knesset, in the synagogue system of the Jewish people worldwide. When you come to chapter 7, verses 37, 38, 39, and 40, you get this debate about where Jesus came from and how that he simply could not be Messiah because he came from the Galilee. And I want to just open up this podcast by getting us ready for chapter 8. Because remember, there were no chapter verse divisions in the original writing. And so when we come to the last verse, certainly the last verse, verse 53 of chapter 7, should go with what we call chapter 8. But it's all as a single thread. Verse 40 of chapter 7 says, Therefore many from the crowd, when they heard this, saying, said, Truly this is the prophet, that is the prophet that Moses had talked about. Others said, This is Messiah. This is the Christ, the anointed one, the promised one that God said would come. But some said, Will the Christ come out of the Galilee? Because you see, Jesus was a Nazarene. He grew up in Nazareth, and that was very well known because the Sadducees wanted everybody, the scribes wanted everyone, the Pharisees wanted everybody to know that Jesus was from Nazareth. Now, why is that important? Has not the scripture said that the Christ, the Messiah, comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? That's what the prophets had said. Uh, You, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though you are the smallest of all of Judea, yet out of you will come forth a ruler that will rule my people Israel, of course. And so there was a division among the people because of him. Now, some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. (laughs) You see, no one was going to lay hands on Jesus until it was time. I'm just giving you the background here. Then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, 
Why have you not brought him? In other words, why haven't you got hold of this man and made him stop? And the officers answered, no man ever spoke like this man. This absolutely just blew them away, and they were flabbergasted that here was one of their own or some of their own saying, these officers, well, I'll tell you, this man speaks like no one we've ever heard. Then the Pharisees answered, are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Now Nicodemus, he's the one who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he's doing? They answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen from Galilee. Well, number one, that's not true. Jonah was a prophet, and Jonah came from a town in the Galilee, and I could go on, but I'm I'm just saying to you, number one, they were astray and askew in their Bible learning. Uh, They were probably talking about the prophet of Moses. I certainly am giving them that benefit of the doubt, that they're not that ignorant. But what they did not realize was that Jesus was from Bethlehem. He was born in Bethlehem. And then it says in verse 53, this is the beginning of what we call chapter 8, and everyone went to his own house, but Jesus went out to the Mount of Olives, which overlooked the great temple area. Now, early in the morning, that's always a reference to what we would call dawn. It was very early before sunup, more than likely in the morning, he came again into the temple. And all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman called in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, in the very act. Well, of course, the question is, if she was very in the very act, I mean in the process of committing adultery, she wasn't doing that by herself. Where was the man? If she was caught in the act, it takes two to commit adultery, but only the woman was brought. Now Moses in the law and in the instruction that he commanded us that such should be stoned, yes, and also the man. But what do you say? They were testing him, of course, that they might have something to accuse him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear them. And now, you know, that didn't sit well with them. So they continued asking him. He raised himself up and said unto them, who is without sin among you? Whoever that is, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those that heard what Jesus had said, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. I wonder what Jesus was writing. Now, many have assumed that he was writing down their sins. Well, certainly he could have been. He knew them. He's God. But they were convicted by their own conscience because, you see, they knew exactly what they were doing. This was a setup. They were trying to get a woman killed, and a woman meant nothing to them simply because she was just a means to an end. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn you. That is, I'm not going to fuss at you. You know what you've done. You know what you've been involved in. And so he didn't accommodate her sin and say, Well, you know, that's okay. Hey, we all mess up every now and then. It's no big deal. 
No, that's not what he said. He didn't condone her sin. He called her to repentance. He said, now go and sin no more. Stop it. Stop living the way you're living. Stop thinking the way you're thinking. Stop going in the direction you're going and quit what you're doing. Sin no more. Now, that doesn't mean she was going to be sinless the rest of her life. But what Jesus was saying is, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to save you. Didn't we just read in the Gospel of John that the Son of God has come into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved? And so this is why he came, to save people, to change people, to love people, to take them where they are and take them to where they need to be. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. How true it is for those of us who have walked in darkness and have seen the great light of Jesus, the face of God himself, our lives have been changed. That doesn't mean we're sinless. That doesn't mean we don't have evil desires. As long as we're in this flesh, we're going to be tempted. We're going to be drawn away. Our own lust will many times draw us away. Our own wickedness and our own flesh and the world's thought patterns and even demons themselves will draw us away from Jesus. But the child of God will always come back. The child of God will fall under the discipline of the Lord and will either come back or the Lord may discipline a person and take them home. Yes, God's capable of doing that. And it's his prerogative to do that. After all, he's God. He is our father. We've given our life to him. If you say you're a child of God, you've given your life to him. Then Jesus talks about the witness of who he is. And he comes to Verse 31, the narrative says, Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, the word abide means to remain in. That means to walk in it. That means to keep it. That means that you're living the Jesus life. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Really, really you are. You see, obedience is always the assurance of salvation. It's not the means to salvation. It is the assurance of salvation. We are saved to follow Jesus. We're not saved to just as a fire escaped from hell. We're saved for obedience. We're saved to godliness. We are saved from ungodliness to godliness. We are saved from disobedience to obedience. We're saved from darkness to light. And he said, if you keep my word, if you remain in my word, if you live in my word, you are my disciples Really? Then verse 32, and then you shall know the truth, the truth of God, the word of God, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. That's the Jews, these rulers, these religious leaders, and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Now, first of all, again, they act like they don't know their history. I would say they were in bondage in Egypt. The Bible says they were in bondage. They were praying to God like they were in bondage. They were asking God to get them out of bondage. How could they say we've never been in bondage if they're talking about the Jewish people? And that's what they're talking about their ancestors because verse 37 says, I know that you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me. Jesus said that. I know who you are. I know that you're Abraham's descendants. I know that Abraham was a free man, but there have been times of bondage. I know who Abraham is, and I know who his descendants are, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. You're not listening to what I'm saying. 
And you're wanting to kill me simply because I've messed up your playhouse. Now, that's not in the Bible. I'm just telling you that's basically the way that we would say it. You see, the reason they hated Jesus because he messed up their system. And anybody that is comfortable in a system of thought and religion and routines, and when somebody comes along and really destroys that, uh, what people want to do is get vengeance and kill them. They answered and said unto Jesus, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto him, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. That is, you would trust God. These are the works of God, Jesus said, that you believe in him whom he has sent. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said unto him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from him. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. Now, that is plain talk. Can you believe Jesus said that to them? Why, today he would be called evil. He would be called rude. He would be called politically non-correct. He just told some religious leaders that the devil, Satan, Diabolos, was their father. Not only that, but he goes on. And the desires of your father you want to do. You, you're just like him. He was a murderer from the beginning. That is, he had hate in his heart. He hated me, hated my father. And now that same hatred's in you, just like it is in him. And uh, he does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own, that is, his own being, his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? Jesus said, well, which one of you can tell me what I've done wrong? And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you're not of God. Jesus said, you are of the devil. Wow. Wow. And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon because that's what they said. The Jews asked him, said, do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan? Now, wh what kind of talk is that? You're talking about racist. You're talking about talking down to someone. These Jewish people were doing this. These Jewish leaders were doing this. And you have a demon. Jesus said, I do not have a demon. I honor my father and you dishonor me. Now, you see, some people would say, well, now, I just don't think you need to argue with people. I don't think you. Jesus wasn't arguing. He was setting the record straight. And he did it the right way. He did it in the right tone. But do you think he just did this with a little passive voice? Oh, no, I think he was raising his voice. I think he was speaking truth. I think he was passionate about what he was saying because he was telling the truth. He wasn't trying to prove anything that would honor him. What he was trying to do was to show these people the way of salvation. You see, if you love people, you've got to love them enough to tell them the truth. And so he said, I don't have a demon. You dishonor me, and I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Amen, amen. Most assuredly, I say unto you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death.
Then the Jews said unto him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead, and the prophets, and you say, If anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead? And the prophets are dead, and do you make yourself? Who is it that you're making yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. Wow. I'm telling you, this is a major confrontation. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said, You're not even 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Amen, amen. I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, that's the name of God. That's the personal name of God. That's the name that God told Moses was his name. And they knew exactly what Jesus was saying. He was saying, I am God walking. I'm God talking. I am God in the flesh. And they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Oh, my. You see, in our age of political correctness, we sometimes have the idea that we can't tell people the truth. That if you do tell people the truth, you're rude, you're ugly, you're mean, you're angry, you're hateful, you're filled with hate speech. You see, many times we're never more like Jesus than when we just tell people who they are, where they're going, and how they can turn from that, not in a mean and ugly way. Jesus wasn't mean and ugly. He never was. But he was truthful. He was loving. And he did not let people just tell lies right in front of him about who he was and his character without saying something about it. Only on the cross, only before Pilate, only before. And then he even said, it's just as you say. And so As we confront the world with the message of Jesus, and let me tell you, if you're not confronting the world from time to time, you're walking right with them. It is only when we turn around and go a different way that the world is going that we have a confrontation because we're walking against the grain. We're walking against the flow. But you see, this is what we're called to do. We're to be salt and light, salt to a decaying, darkening world, and light to a people that are blind, that have lost their way. Only Jesus can forgive sin. And my prayer is that you will find forgiveness in him for the first time if you've never been saved. But if you're out of fellowship with God, whoever you are, whatever you've done, listen. As with a woman who committed adultery, and evidently she did, they just let the man go because they were prejudiced and they were misogynist and we could go on and on about all that they were but you know what jesus said i don't condemn you go and sin no more that's good news for on the way this is tony crisp thanks for listening to on the way with tony crisp tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages people places and prophecies fridays are for your questions Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.